Welcome to Two Peds in a Pod, where two pediatricians discuss child health topics of interest to parents in a podcast with new subjects considered every episode. I am Dr. Dean Blumberg. And I'm Dr. Lena Rostein. And we're both from UC Davis Children's Hospital in Sacramento, California. And let's hear about today's topic from one of our parents. Hi, you've reached Two Peds in a Pod. Leave your question about your child's health at the beep. Hi, this is Amy from Sacramento. I'm having trouble getting my toddler to sleep. She often fights sleep even after a long day with no nap and lots of play. Any suggestions to help us get a good night's rest? Thanks. I mean, really, kids sleep. It's like it's natural. I don't even understand the question because like once the kid gets tired, they're going to go to sleep. What's all the fuss about? Oh, Dr. Dean, this is like one of the hardest thing for parents. I think that it is a super important question. Let me ask you this. What percent of parents do you think would change their child's sleeping habits if given the chance? Well, I'm sure there's some parents who are unhappy about it. Like, so maybe like 10% or 20%. I mean, kids sleep and that gives their parents a break and then they've got to be happy about that, right? (laughs) So wrong again. One survey found that if given the opportunity, three quarters of parents would want to change their children's sleep habits. Wow. And half wanted their pediatrician to pay more attention to sleep. Wow, that's a lot. I guess we should talk about this in more depth then. Although I think I know what I need to know about sleep. (laughs) We'll see about this. So let's get back to the basics. So what are some basics regarding sleep? Sure. Okay. I know all about that. You close your eyes and you go to sleep Uh, and you wake up uh, and next. No. So I'm talking about physiology, sleep cycles, things like that. Oh, physiology. Yeah. So I, I like physiology. Let's talk about that. So there's different kinds of sleep, right? Of course, Dr. Lena. There's light sleep. There's heavy sleep. I'm talking about REM and non-REM. Oh, yeah, I remember that, REM. Yes, R-E-M. It stands for rapid eye movement. Isn't that just kind of creepy and weird that your eyes are moving around in the middle of the night? (laughs) Well, I guess a little bit, but it's normal. Older children and adults have REM and non-REM sleep cycles that cycle about every 90 to 110 minutes. So that's every hour and a half to two hours. Exactly. Exact is good, right? (laughs) It is good. But the newborn sleep cycle is different than that. So it's only about half of that time every 50 minutes or so. So what happens at the end of that cycle? Sometimes at the end of that cycle, there's a brief arousal. But it's important for parents to know that their baby is not waking up at the end of this cycle. So they're going to go back to sleep. They'll go back to sleep. And sometimes parents come in, they think they're having a real awakening, they'll pick them up. And that will create a real awakening of the baby. So if they were just patient and observe the baby, then they would go back to sleep all by themselves. Right. So not exactly? No. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So um, besides the eye movement, aren't there other movements that are associated with um, REM sleep? Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. REM sleep is actually an extremely active state of sleep. So sometimes babies will be smiling, they'll be sucking on their pacifier, their arms and legs may move around and twitch a little bit. So, I mean, that seems obvious then why some parents might believe that their baby doesn't get any restful sleep when these behaviors are actually normal. Yeah, exactly. So it's an important thing for them to know. Let's talk more about newborns. What do you think is a normal amount of sleep for a newborn baby? So adults get about eight hours, or at least are supposed to get eight hours. So kids sleep more, uh, like 12 hours for newborns? Wrong again, Dr. Dean. And you're actually off by a lot. Newborns average 16 to 20 hours of sleep per day. 
that is a lot of sleep. But newborns sleep such short periods of time. And so then they wake up, they eat. Does it really add up to 16 to 20 hours? Yeah, they sleep for one to four hours at a time. And then they're awake for only one to two hours before they fall back asleep. Wow. Now, some parents say their child is awake all night and then they sleep during the day. And this seems more common for newborns. So how does this happen? How does the sleep cycle get so topsy-turvy? Well, it takes a while for a baby to distinguish between day and night. Mm -hmm. So at first, they're just sleeping and waking up whenever, and that's correct. But then by two months of age, they usually start to distinguish between a day and a night cycle. And so when do they start to sleep through the night? Well, remember that infants are still feeding pretty frequently. So usually sleeping through the night doesn't start until their feedings get more spaced out. And usually that's around four months of age. So, by the way, we should probably define sleep through the night. We're not talking about sleeping like eight or ten hours straight, right? No, I think that uh, it's more like six hours at a time at that age. Okay, but that still gives... I mean, that's still great for parents that haven't slept in months. Exactly. (laughs) By six months of age, most children should be actually sleeping through the night. So I've heard that some parents link sleeping through the night with the introduction of solid food. Is that true? Yeah, a lot of parents think this, but it's actually just a coincidence. Some parents start to introduce solids around this age of four months, and that is just coincidentally when our cycles change to sleeping through the night. So now wait a second. Doesn't the American Academy of Pediatrics and pediatricians in general, we recommend that solids not be introduced until six months of age, right? You are right about that, Dr. Dean. Pediatricians endorse exclusive breastfeeding, if feasible, for the mom for the first six months of life. Right. So breast is best. Breast is best. And Mm -hmm. a lot of other factors come into when you should start solid foods, but we can talk about that in a different episode. Okay. So for older infants, children up to one year of age, how much sleep do you think they get per day? So I underestimated on newborns, and I'm not going to make the same mistake with infants. So if newborns average 16 to 20 hours of sleep a day, I'd guess that infants get about 14 or so? Right. About four to six months, infants average 14 hours of sleep per day. Okay. What about toddlers? One to three years of age? Any guesses? I don't know. I'm feeling kind of pressure now. Maybe 12 hours a day? Right again. (laughs) Okay. I'm glad. So let's talk about older children. Okay. So they sleep less and they nap less as they get older, right? That's right. Children gradually average less sleep. So by that time, they're adolescents, they should be getting nine hours of sleep per night. And I remember nine (laughs) hours from our school start time episode. Good for you. You are learning during this process. Thank you. (laughs) As children get older, they grow out of taking routine naps during the day. So what's a normal number of naps? Younger children typically take two naps per day, once in the later morning and once in the afternoon. And how old are children when the naps start decreasing? It's different for every child, but Mm -hmm. around two years of age, they may transition to taking about one nap per day. And when do they stop taking routine naps? Most children would stop taking naps around five years of age. Okay, so what if children don't get enough sleep? Then what are the consequences for them? Remember, we also talked about this with our School Start Times episode. Yeah, we did. And we talked about how adolescents who don't get enough sleep don't do as well in school. And because they're sleepier and driving, they might have more car accidents. Exactly. Yeah. So but what about with younger children? They're not driving or in school. (laughs) Very keen insight, Dr. Dean. (laughs) Thank you. So how does lack of sleep affect the younger children? If younger children don't get enough sleep, they don't think as well. They may develop behavior problems or acting out. It can affect their mood, their schoolwork, and cause attention and behavioral changes that can be disruptive for the whole family. I could see that, that if the kid's not sleeping well and it's affecting their behavior, really everybody in the family is going to be losing sleep. That's correct. 
So we've talked about normal sleep expectations, but I think that we should talk about some common sleep challenges too. Yeah, what kind of challenges are you thinking of? So one of the common concerns I hear from parents like Amy is that children just don't want to go to sleep. And why not? Because I like going to sleep. (laughs) (laughs) Me too. Um, There can be a lot of reasons at this age that kids don't want to go to sleep. One of the main causes is separation anxiety. So we talked about separation anxiety in a previous episode, but I don't remember any connection with sleep. Yeah, we didn't really talk about sleep because we talked about other situations like dropping your child off at daycare or school. But we're Mm -hmm. talking about sleep now. Yeah, so why can't the child go to sleep? The parents are just in the next room. And so what's the big deal about that? Do you remember that we talked about that that description of object permanence when a kid develops that? I do. The issue, like at an early age, if children don't see something or someone, like if it's covered up or in the next room, they think it's actually gone. So maybe you understand that when a parent puts their child down for sleep and leaves the room, that the child may experience some of the separation anxiety. Oh, I get it. Good for you. Yeah. And then at around eight months of age or so, they realize that the parent is gone from the room and then they miss the parent. Is that it? Yeah. The baby might be so upset that they cry and cry until the parent returns. And sometimes the parents, because of this, decide to sleep in the same room or have their baby fall asleep in their bed with them and then transfer them to their crib once they're asleep. You know, I could see this really setting up problems for the future because the child needs to learn how to sleep on their own, right? Yeah, and we're going to have some good strategies about how to help that happen in a little bit. Okay, so what about sleep challenges for older children, like for toddlers? What about the toddler who goes to bed then is demanding in a way? They want one thing after another. Yep, I'm glad you brought that up because parents also have this issue. Usually when their kid's around two years old, they are putting them to bed. They want them to read a book and then another book. Mm-hmm. And they're just pushing more, out bedtime. Right? Just one more book. Uh-huh. And it's kind of hard because it's a nice time for parents with their kids at bedtime. But they have to be consistent with this. So are we talking about limits here? Yes, we are. And what what kind of limits are we talking about? We're talking about bedtime rules and being consistent. So even if your kid is insistent and wants that one more book and it sounds nice to you, they have to know how to respond. They have to have that routine at bedtime or else it can really spiral out of control. So the increased attention that parents pay to the child actually reinforces this behavior? Exactly. Hmm. So what about some other issues like nightmares, night terrors, sleepwalking, snoring, sleep apnea, even insomnia? I mean, what about co-sleeping? They're all very important issues, but I want to make sure we have time to address our sleep challenges. So let's talk about them in a future episode. Okay, so maybe we can talk about how to respond to some of these sleep problems. Yes, let's. But first, I want to emphasize that we've talked about sleep in general, but this is averages for different ages. Okay, so every child is different. Everyone is a very unique individual, just like you, Dr. Dean. Thanks. (laughs) Thanks, I think. (laughs) So it's important to account for that individual children. They'll have their own specific needs, and they may fall outside of these averages that we're talking about. So there's a range of sleep that individuals need. Every child may not be right on the average that we were talking about. Exactly. And some of these sleep challenges that we've talked about will be affected by the child's temperament. And their parents' temperament too, right? Yep. That parent-child interaction is really key in some of these things. I can't emphasize that enough. Okay. So do you have some tips for parents to make it easier for their children to go to sleep and easier for the parents too? Yeah. Let's get into some suggestions. Okay. First would be the environment. Okay. So like no pollution, right? Because it's the environment. (laughs) The sleep environment. Ah, that makes sense. The bedroom can be dark and quiet when a child goes to sleep. Well, that, that makes perfect sense. What else? 
It's nice for infants to have a transitional object. Which is? It's like a blankie or a stuffed toy, their favorite thing, you know, that they always have with them. So I've also heard of comfort objects. Yep, it's the same thing as a transitional object. Okay. So a transitional object can make it easier for kids to get through that separation anxiety phase because it's reassuring to them. They're comforted by it when they're going to sleep. And children sometimes become very attached to these objects, right? Yeah, it can be a challenge if the transitional object gets dirty and needs to be cleaned. So, you know, hygiene is my middle name, but, well, it's not actually my middle name. (laughs) I know. Okay, so taking the transitional object away from the child can be really distressing to them. Yeah, but if it's dirty, it has to be cleaned. Right. So what can parents do to to get that object away from them? I just want to highlight that only you have taken this divergence from sleep (laughs) to hygiene and germs. But sure, sure. So it's good for them to have two of every object so that you can make sure that it is being cleaned. Okay, so at least two. So that's a good (laughs) idea. And they need to be exactly the same so the kid is comforted by it, right? That's true. Exactly. Okay, so two blankies, two of their favorite stuffed animals. Um, They got to be exactly the same. Yep. Next, routine for bedtime is really important. Okay, got it. So what kind of routine? The routine should be soothing and quiet. So at bedtime, reading a book is good, singing a quiet song, doing prayers if your family does that, tucking in the child and giving them a kiss. Okay, that's nice. So that that sounds very nice. So how long should this um, routine be? It will be different for every family, but we would suggest it being about 30 minutes or less so you don't drag it out. Okay, so we mentioned earlier that sleeping through the night starts to happen at around four months of age. Yep, and most children will start to sleep prolonged periods of time through the night around six months, but every kid is a little bit different. Of course. And what about the infants with separation anxiety? So it's important for babies before they develop this object permanence to start putting them into their crib when they're drowsy, but they're not sleeping. So So they're still awake. They're still awake so that they learn that they need to soothe themselves and fall asleep in their own crib so that when they wake up, potentially in the middle of the night, they're able to soothe themselves back to sleep in that environment. Okay. And this relates to the sleep cycle? Yeah. So children, like we talked about, will have these periodic arousals from sleep. And so we need to make sure when they do have that arousal that they can go back to sleep on their own. Right. So it's important for them to learn this, to really master this. So what about kids who just cry and cry? Is it okay to let the child cry themselves to sleep? or Because this sounds kind of traumatic to them and like, like it might be causing them harm later in life. Yeah, I think those kids that are just screaming from their cribs can be traumatic for them, but also for their parents. No parent wants to hear their kid crying like that. But children do need to learn how to sleep on their own. So I think there's a fine balance between that. So what's a parent to do in that situation? So usually we recommend that parents start sleep training their kids around four to six months of age. Sleep training. And and why, why at that age? Well, like we talked about, it's important that the child get comfortable falling asleep before they develop that separation anxiety phase. Right. That happens at eight months of age. Yep. So sleep training, what does this involve? Well, at bedtime, parents let their child cry for a little bit. It is difficult, like we talked about, Mm -hmm. but parents need to be consistent and be patient, and we promise you'll get through this phase. (laughs) Okay, so how long should they let the child cry before coming to them? There's no precise answer for this, and obviously every parent's comfort level is going to be different. Mm -hmm. But maybe five minutes at first to allow the child to self-regulate, and then for four to 12 months... The parents can return, kind of pat them, do a little quiet song and reassure them that they're still there. Okay. And what about for older children? 
For older children, you want to come back in the room, but you don't want to give them any sense of like a reward. So you may just want to sit in a chair, just show their your presence in the room, but you don't want to re- reward their behavior. So no entertainment and the parent should just be as boring as possible because of the object permanence issue, right? Exactly. You don't want to come in. You don't want to lift them out of the crib. You just want to be a presence in the room. And that can be a lot of work for parents and hard sometimes. So was this the um, the Ferber method? I remember that from my training. Your training in the last century? You do have an excellent memory, Dr. Dean. Thank you. <laughs> I, I, wait a second. I'm not sure that's a compliment. <laughs> yeah. No, you do have a good memory. The Ferber method was recommended years ago, and it involved letting your child cry at bedtime and then gradually increasing those periods that you're letting them cry before you respond so that eventually the child would be able to sleep on their own. Right. So increasing the waiting period while the child is crying to maybe like a minute per night. Exactly. So you would like add a minute per night before you respond and then waiting until the time that you go back in to reassure them that you're present. Okay, and this this method actually works, right? It does work, but there were concerns in the community when this was popular that waiting to respond to the crying child was concerning to some people. And why is that? Some people thought that it may be too traumatic for a child to cry so much and that there was concern that this would impact their emotional development. Well, is there any scientific evidence that this method causes problems for children later? No, no study has shown that the Ferber method harms the child. It's just concerning because there may be prolonged distress and it may cause distress in the parents too. So we have to acknowledge that. Yeah, I could see that. How long does it usually take for this method to work? You know, it's quicker than I was expecting. So just within a week or two, it can work. And sometimes it works even in just a few days. Wow. That must be really hard, though, to listen to the child cry and difficult to resist going in to soothe them. Yeah. So every family should be informed and prepared for the difficulty in these first few days. Right. Mm -hmm. And everyone who participates in their bedtime routine needs to be on board with this. So mom, dad, grandparents, whoever might be putting the child down, it needs to be consistent. So it seems like consistency is a real theme here. Yeah, consistency is, especially when we're talking about this age group and behavior and developmental issues. Okay, so what about with toddlers who delay going to sleep? They're asking for one more of something. Again, it's all about consistency and routine. Makes sense. They need to stick to the routine and do it every day, Monday through Sunday. And then no backsliding, like rewarding them by responding differently on weekends, for example, because this will just spill over into the next week. That's correct. Okay, so we've talked about these sleep problems in children and how they can be a real challenge and stressful for parents. What's a realistic timeline for them to expect for these difficulties to resolve? If parents are consistent with their sleep chaining and limit setting, they should resolve in less than three weeks. But if untreated and parents don't establish this consistent routine, it can go on for years. I have kids in my clinic whose parents don't follow any consistent routine. And we I feel like we're talking about this every week and I'm telling them, you have to stop breastfeeding in the middle of the night. But it's such a comfort thing to them that mm-hmm. they keep doing it. And so it can drag on for years if you don't establish this routine. Wow, years. So it's really important to address this early. And then what if the sleep issues just just don't get better? What do, what what are parents going to do? 
Parents should talk to their pediatrician about this. Most pediatricians have a lot of experience in this area. Okay, but what if there are still problems despite talking with their pediatrician? Should they see a specialist or maybe give like some sleeping pills or sleeping medication? <laughs> no medication, Dr. D, not for sleep. This is something that can be addressed in the office, or but sometimes seeing a specialist may be needed. So if it's a really difficult area, then we could always refer to a specialist. So who specializes in babies sleeping? Well, some of these issues would relate to behavioral issues. So a pediatrician specializing in child development might be a good step. Okay, a child development specialist. Yep, and then there's also pediatric sleep medicine specialists if we think that it might be from another physiologic cause. Okay, so let's get back to um, Amy's question about, it sounds like she had more of a toddler age kid and it was just difficult to put them to sleep at, at, at bedtime. Yeah, so I think that the things like a quick story, making sure she doesn't give in to the multiple stories, mm -hmm. keeping them up at night, keeping the, it a very consistent routine for routine. all caretakers that may put this baby down. So mom, dad, grandparents, or babysitters. And consistency. That's really the key here. Consistency and routine are key. Okay. So all this talk about sleep is um, reminding me of a joke. <laughs> Snore. Okay, let's hear it. <laughs> okay, why, why do you go to bed? Why? Because the bed will not come to you. <laughs> we would like to thank Dr. Marybeth Steinfeld from the UC Davis Mind Institute for reviewing today's topic, although Dr. Lena and I take responsibility for any errors or misinformation. That wraps up today's episode of Two Peds in a Pod about sleep in toddlers and infants. If you liked this episode or are enjoying listening to our podcast, if you could please review it on Apple iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And you can find more information about this subject on our Facebook page, 2TWO, Peds in a Pod, all one word. Our website is blog.ucdmc.ucdavis.edu slash 2Peds in a Pod. And you can also find that website on all of our social media platforms. And follow us on Twitter at 2 underline Peds. That's the number 2 underline symbol P-E-D-S. Or on Instagram, the number two peas in a pod, no spaces. And if you have feedback on this show or topics you'd like us to discuss in the future, we would love to hear from you. Please call us with your questions. Our number is 916-915-3388. Or email us at two, the number two, peds in a pod at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope you will join us for our next podcast. Two Peds in a Pod is sponsored by UC Davis Children's Hospital.